You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Okay, 1 John 5. This is the conclusion of the letter, and it starts in verse 13. And I'm just going to dive in here because I want to use this verse as a way of setting up the rest of the passage. So look at chapter 5, verse 13. John gives us his purpose for writing. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he wants them to know that they have eternal life. The question I have is, what is eternal life? I think most people would say that it's life after death or like life forever. And it is that, but there's a lot more than that too. And so let's just do a quick little survey of eternal life in the letter of 1 John. The very beginning, chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he says. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And so here, Jesus is the eternal life. Next verse. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so eternal life is connected to fellowship with the Father and the Son. Chapter 2. He says, if what you heard from the beginning, which was the the Jesus that John proclaimed to them, if that abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And so similar to having fellowship with the Father and the Son, eternal life is abiding in the Father and in the Son. Chapter 3, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so here, eternal life is connected to loving our brothers and sisters. Because if the love of God is in us, abides in us, then that's the most natural overflow, that we would love one another. The last three references are all here at the end of chapter 5. So uh, chapter 5, verse 11, which we looked at last week, says, God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So eternal life is in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have his life, which means fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, We already looked at verse 13. Verse 20 is the last reference, and it, it bookends with verse 13 in this passage. So 13 says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Then verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So stop there. No one knows what God is like. No one's ever seen God. Nobody has any clue except Jesus. Jesus knows what God is like, and he's come to tell us what God is like. So our, our confidence to the, the, is based on Jesus as the source of true knowledge about God. He came, next phrase, so that he may, we may know him who is true. And so it's not just that he's sharing with us knowledge about God. He's also sharing how we can know God. And we've talked about this a lot, but to know God is uh, an, a relational term. 
It means to discover through personal experience in the way that you would get to know someone over time. And John describes this relationship in the next phrase. We are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. So to be joined to Christ, to be in Christ, means that whatever's true of him becomes true of us. This is how we know we have the real thing, because he is the true God and eternal life. Now, I know that was a lot really fast, but when you read these verses, you begin to see that eternal life is not just forever life. It's new life in Christ. It's real spiritual existence. And here's what I want to boil this down to. The primary quality of of eternal life, of the life of the Son, is to know the love of the Father. Let me say that again. The primary quality of our eternal life is the love that the Father has for the Son. Here's why I say that. In John 17, it's a famous prayer of Jesus. At the, toward the end of it, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, Father, you have loved me before the creation of the world. So I don't know if you've ever thought about what God was doing before the creation of the world. But Jesus tells us right here. Uh, Michael Reeves puts it this way in his book on the Trinity. Before God ever created, before he ever ruled the world... Before anything else, God was a father, loving and giving life to and delighting in his son. That's what Jesus had, and that's what he came to give us. Right after he says, Father, you've loved me before the creation of the world, this is what he says a couple verses later. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me might be in them, and I in them. If you read First John with this understanding, then you begin to see why John makes so much of the Father's love abiding in us. And you begin to see that it's no surprise, as we come to the end of this letter, that John takes us to the subject of prayer. That's where he's going next. And, you know, Jesus taught John and the disciples to pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven. And so John knows that prayer has a very special way of helping us relate to God as Father. And so he takes us to prayer so that we can know that we have the real thing in the Father's love. So verse 14 and 15, uh, he tells us that we can be confident in prayer because God's our Father. And then in verses 16 and 17, he gives us an example prayer that we can pray. And then in verses 18 and 19, he tells us how God answers that prayer. It's pretty cool. So on one level, these verses are about prayer. But underneath that, these verses are about how prayer helps us experience the love of the Father toward us in Christ. So let's get into this Sermon on prayer slash God's love. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The word confidence just means to speak freely. And the word toward him means in his presence. So we can come into the presence of God and speak freely. 
because he's our father. Like my kids can always come to me whenever they want and say whatever they want because I'm their dad. I'm an imperfect dad. And so sometimes I'm not available when I should be. Sometimes I overreact. Sometimes I'm like there, but I'm not listening. You know, so I have, a, I have this thing about like I'll get lost in some thought about something else. And so I'll be there, but I will absolutely tune everything out. I can't hear anything that's going on around me. Uh, this happens frequently enough that Holden, my youngest son, has a name for it. So now when it happens, he usually just laughs and he announces to the whole house, Dad zoned out again. All right, so look, I'm an imperfect dad, but even as that, I long for my kids to come to me and to speak freely with me because I want to share life with them. That's the point here. As a father loves his children, so God loves and listens to us, and he does so perfectly. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our Father has the capacity to be literally thinking about everything all the time, and yet He doesn't miss a single word that you utter to Him. Even our groans, Paul says, get translated by the Holy Spirit into prayer. If we have eternal life in the Son, then we have confident access to the Father. Now, the only time we ever see the Son without the presence of the Father, is on the cross. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That happens because on the cross, Jesus is taking our place. He's taking upon himself the separation and the death that we deserve because of our sin so that we can have his life. Everyone who believes in him can know that they have eternal life and unlimited access to the Father. And the proof of it is what he did for us on the cross. And this is our confidence. It's not just that God hears us, it's that he answers us when we pray. Look at verse 15. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So, When my kids ask me for something, the request has power to make things happen. Things that might not have otherwise happened. Things that might have happened by some other means and so on. The point is, their request matters. It's not just cute. It's not a formality. It makes things happen. So the fact that God answers our prayers means that our prayers have the power to make things happen. It's not just trivial. And and the reason they have the power to make things happen is not because God is powerless, not because he's impotent to act on his own. He doesn't need us. The reason they have power is because God shares his life with us. Uh, That was true in creation. God created the man and the woman, and he told them to fill the earth with his glory. Now, God didn't need the man and the woman to fill the earth with his glory. He could have done that on his own. God doesn't even need the earth, right? All of that is just because God is a life-giving God who wants to share his life with with us, with his people. So what was true in creation is true now. The Father delights 
to accomplish his purposes through his people and their prayers. When we pray, we share in the life of the Father and the Son. Isn't that why answered prayer is so great? Like when God answers a prayer that that you ask, and when it's unmistakable that he did it, there's there's no other explanation. When that happens, it usually blows us away. Like every single time, we can't believe that that's happened. Now, why is that? What is that emotion that we feel? Is it because of the thing God did? Or is it because we got to be part of the thing God did? Surely it's both, but I actually think it's more the latter. I think answered prayer moves us because it gives us a taste of the eternal life that we have in Christ. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, after church, uh, a girl, a young woman, came up to the front and asked uh, me and Marat, one of our other elders, to pray for her. She had lost sight in one of her eyes, uh, 100%, lost all of it because of an infection. And she asked that we would pray that God would restore her sight. And so we did. We asked that God would heal her. Honestly, I didn't think that much about it after that. A few weeks later, she emailed me to share an update. And she said, I just wanted to let you know, the next day, I had 50% of my sight back. And the day after that, I had 75% of my sight. And now my sight is completely restored, 100%. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, that is amazing. Now, I have heard of other people being healed before. I've seen other people being healed before. The reason this moves me is because it gave me a taste of the eternal life, of the activity of God. I got to be a part of it. So for her, the joy was, you know, the thing God did, that he healed her. For me, the joy was getting to be a part of it. And for both of us, the result is that we give thanks to God and we give praise to him for his great love toward us in Christ. That's what the story is about. It's not about her or me. It's about the love of the Father for his children. This is the confidence and the joy that we have before the Father. He always hears us when we pray, and he always answers us according to his will. Now, in verse 16 and 17, John gives us an example of that kind of prayer. This prayer shows the love of the Father for his children and how that love flows through us when we pray for each other. So let's look at verse 16. This has a lot of confusing language. We're going to get to it. Stick with me. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I don't say to pray that you should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I told you it was confusing. I couldn't even read it. Now, here's the deal. Some of the false teaching in this church had to do with sin, even to the point of calling into question the need for Jesus to die for sin. And so John spends a lot of time in this letter talking about sin and how Christians relate to sin. If I could boil it down to just two things, here's what he says. Number one, sin is incompatible with eternal life in Christ. Therefore, Christians do not keep on sinning. 
That's what verse 18 says. Whoever's born of God doesn't keep on sinning. Now, what he means by that is that we don't make a practice of sin. We don't treat sin like it's no big deal. Because the life and the love of God is in us, we actually hate sin and we love righteousness. The second thing he says is, if we sin, there's forgiveness and restoration available in Christ. And so John wants to say, sin's incompatible with life in Christ, but he also acknowledges the reality of sin in the world and the reality that Christians commit sins. But instead of continuing in sin, a Christian confesses sin and experiences the forgiveness of the Father and the cleansing blood of the Son. And the result is is that we have fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son. So in these verses, in verse 16 and 17, when he talks about sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't lead to death, this is what he's referring to. Sin that leads to death is the sin of not believing in Jesus. If you don't have him, you don't have life. And so your sin leads to death. Sin that does not lead to death is sin that has been atoned for by Jesus. So again, Christians sin But because we have eternal life, our sin doesn't lead to death. Now, John is going to make it clear. Verse 17, he says, look, all wrongdoing is sin. Sin's a big deal. right?" So he's trying to address that that person who might be thinking, okay, so grace is just a license to sin. That's not how a Christian thinks. John's saying, if you think that way, that's, that's characteristic of how someone who doesn't know God would think about sin. It's easy to get lost in all of that. Here's the thing that I want you to see. I want you to see the Father's love, not just for me individually, but for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for all his children. If we see a brother or sister committing a sin, we don't treat it like it's no big deal. That's not love. We don't despair for them. We pray for them. And God will give them life, which means he'll, he'll restore them to fellowship. He will raise them up on the day of judgment. So think about a Christian friend who you know is struggling with sin. What can you do for them? You can pray for them. It's not trivial. There's power in it to make things happen. And after you've prayed for them, how should you feel? about their struggles. Confident in God. He loves his kids and he gives them life. All right. In verses 18 and 19, we're going to see why we can be so confident in this prayer. John takes us kind of behind the scenes to show us how God answers this prayer. Here we see the Father's protection. Verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. It's a tricky little phrase. It just means that Jesus protects us, or God protects us, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So behind the scenes, the unseen reality is is what John says there in verse 19. The whole world 
lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, the world in 1 John is the fallen world that is opposed to God. It's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Um, many things in this world present themselves to be true, but they're actually false. Many things in this world present themselves to be that thing that is going to make your life matter. That thing that is finally going to make you happy. But it's all an illusion. Um, it's like smoke. You know, you can see smoke. It's there, but you grasp for it. You try to hold on to it, and it just slips through your fingers. It's, it's not real in that way. It's not substantive. The real thing, the substantive thing, is eternal life in Christ. But left to ourselves, uh, we have a hard time seeing things clearly. Left to ourselves, we actually love the things of the world. And the reason is, is because we're just unaware of their true nature. We're unaware of the unseen spiritual battle that's happening all around us. This is the sense here in this verse. The whole world lies helplessly and even unknowingly in the web of sin and death spun by the evil one. But that's not true for the child of God. Because behind the scenes, verse 18, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. That sounds awesome. What does that mean? Here's how one commentator answers that question. He says, While the powers of evil may tempt, entice, and otherwise influence a believer, even to the point of lapse into sin, the evil one cannot take hold of a child of God to remove them from the light and life and drag them back into darkness and death. So when it looks like your brother or sister who's committing a sin, when it looks like they're being drugged back into darkness and death, remember, behind the scenes, God is protecting them and giving them life. That's the good news of 1 John. First uh, John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. A few verses later, This is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Friends, our eternal life is totally secure because God protects us. That has so much application for us, um, especially in these strange times that we're living in, where we all feel so vulnerable. We are all anxious about our health. We're anxious about the economy. We're anxious about the way of life that we've gotten used to and if we'll ever have that again. Those are all important things. Those are all real things. You can go to God and speak freely with Him about all of that. And He answers that prayer. That's why Jesus told us to pray. Lord, give us our daily bread. We have needs, and we can ask God for them. But don't stop there. There's more going on than what you see. There's more at stake than a way of life. There's eternal life at stake. 
Sin is worse than sickness. Unbelief is worse than poverty. And so we also pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pay attention to your life with God. Pray for the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters. And then rest in the protection of the Father. John has uh, talked to us about prayer as a way of assuring us that we have the real thing in Christ. Of assuring us that we can know we have eternal life and we can experience the Father's love. And then the letter ends quite abruptly. And I think it's on purpose. Of course it's on purpose. I think it's supposed to have a punch to it. So here's how the letter ends. This one little sweet exhortation. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. An idol is just a counterfeit God. Um, Anything that is opposed to or in a substitute for the one true God. So an idol can be whatever captures your affections, your imagination, whatever in your heart takes the place of God. It can be health. It could be a way of life. It could be financial security. All those things can rise to the top in our ultimate hope, can't they? Idols have um, strange power over us. But when you set them next to the one true God, then you see how powerless and silly they really are. That's what John's been doing. John has been proclaiming to us the one true God so that we would not settle for anything else. He says, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. So keep yourselves from false teaching and any clever substitute for the real Christ. He says, you have the love of the Father. He hears you. He answers you. He protects you. No one else and nothing else can do any of that. He says, you have the real thing. Don't go wasting your life grasping smoke. My little children, the Father's love is in you. Keep yourself from idols. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.